today is January 14th, 2021, and this is episode number 38 of Blurred Laws in Life with me, your host, Richard Bush. My producers ask me each week, and I usually forget to do it, to mention that you can follow us on Instagram at Blurred Laws and Life. We started with zero followers when we began this podcast, and now we have 206. Yes, 206 followers. So please follow us at Blurred Laws and Life on Instagram. In last week's show, we obviously spoke about the attack on Capitol Hill by protesters supporting Donald Trump. And there has been, as you might imagine, significant aftermath. And we will address that aftermath on today's episode of Blurred Laws in Life. A lot of interesting legal issues that are emanating from the attack on Capitol Hill last week. But first, in a bit of juicy irony and related to the attack on Capitol Hill last week by those supporting Donald Trump and protesting the election of Joe Biden, comes news that Donald Trump does not want to pay Rudy Giuliani's legal bills. That's right. According to reports, Rudy Giuliani was charging Donald Trump $20,000 a day for, and I put this in quotation marks, legal work relating to challenging the election of Joe Biden as president of the United States. According to those reports, Donald Trump has told those close to him, not to pay his bills, not to pay Rudy Giuliani's bills, and not to pay his expenses either. Those reports suggest that Donald Trump has privately expressed concern about the legal work that Mr. Giuliani has done. If he watched television, he would have seen, that being President Trump, that the rest of the world has not privately questioned Rudy Giuliani's performance as the attorney for Donald Trump, but have publicly mocked his legal work. According to Mr. Giuliani, he did not ask for $20,000 per day in legal work, but instead said that his arrangement with Mr. Trump is that they would, quote-unquote, figure it out at the end. Now, Mr. Trump is of course, famous or perhaps infamous for not paying bills. It's been widely reported that he does not pay those who do work for him. So to have an arrangement where you will, quote unquote, work it out in the end, let's just say, is not that intelligent. Nonetheless, the work that Mr. Giuliani has performed for Mr. Trump has been highly questionable. He has not accorded himself very well and he has become a caricature of himself, quite frankly. And this is, as I said before, one of, if not the most surprising and shocking developments of this entire drama as we have watched it unfold. As I mentioned before, I am very familiar with Mr. Giuliani's 
career, having myself lived in New York and started my career by prosecuting a, a civil racketeering case um, against 600 defendants, including unions and doctor and lawyer and employees who worked at the New York Daily News. Mr. Giuliani at the time was one of the most highly respected mayors in the history of New York City. He was widely credited with cleaning up Times Square, getting rid of the criminal element, and before then was one of the most feared and successful prosecutors the Southern District of New York has ever known. Of course, after 9-11, he was widely renowned as America's mayor for galvanizing and supporting and showing incredible empathy to the city of New York after. But now, not only has he literally become a caricature of himself, but he actually, the most feared and powerful prosecutor for the Southern District of New York, literally now was at a event in Washington, D.C., preceding the attack on Capitol Hill, where he demanded, quote-unquote, trial by combat during a rally in Washington as Congress met to certify the election results that he, Mr. Giuliani, had been challenging in courts on behalf of Mr. Trump. That's right. The former mayor of New York, the former prosecutor for the Southern District of New York, literally was demanding, quote-unquote, trial by combat during a rally in Washington, D.C., which led to the insurrection by those who attacked Capitol Hill. This can't be the Rudy Giuliani that we knew. In fact, as my good friend Polo Dodon has said on earlier episodes of Blurred Laws in Life, there are reptilian aliens, he claims, that are controlling us all. As we discussed with Brian Tyler, maybe this is all a simulation and there is someone out there playing us as a game, controlling us. That is the only explanation I can come up with for how Rudy Giuliani could be urging a crowd of insurrectionists in Washington, D.C. to demand trial by combat in challenging the election of Joe Biden. He must be being controlled by either a reptilian alien or some other gamer who has now taken over the Rudy Giuliani player on planet Earth. I, quite frankly, have no other explanation. For the aftermath of the attack on Capitol Hill. Just yesterday, Donald Trump was impeached for the second time. This time for, quote unquote, inciting insurrection. He will go down as the only president that the United States has ever had who has been impeached not once but twice, and now with the most serious charge ever asserted against a president of the United States, inciting insurrection. 
Bill Clinton was impeached, but that was for his Monica Lewinsky affair. And even the earlier impeachment by Mr. Trump, based on the Mueller report and the Russian investigation, etc., obstruction of justice uh, with respect to um, the FBI, all of that. The Ukrainian incident involving Joe Biden and his son, all of that that played into Mr. Trump's earlier impeachment pales in comparison to inciting insurrection leading to the attack on Capitol Hill. Now, for those of you who don't know, just because you're impeached doesn't mean that you were thrown out of office as a president of the United States. So the United States government, the United States Congress has two houses, the House of Representatives and the Senate. The House of Representatives impeach, but then the Senate convicts. And it's only upon a conviction that a president is, of course, removed from office. The important thing to consider now is that while in prior impeachment proceedings, the votes went down party lines, Democrats voted to impeach, Republicans did not. In this vote, 10 Republicans voted to impeach Donald Trump. And Mitch McConnell, who was in charge of the Senate on the GOP Republican side until the recent Georgia Senate elections, which has resulted in a 50-50 split in the Senate, has said that he is open to impeachment. Now, why would Republicans be open to impeachment other than the fact that this is a much more serious crime? I think it's because at this point, even they have had it with Mr. Trump, and they want to make sure that in 2024, he does not return. So that leads to the other legal question, which is, on January 20th, Joe Biden will be the next president of the United States. There is no way that there will be a trial in the Senate before January 20th. So can there be a trial to impeach a president who is no longer the president? And for what purpose? I have been reading up on this issue. And while there is a bit of debate about whether you can have impeachment proceedings and impeach a president, convict the president after he leaves office, the prevailing sentiment is yes, you can. The next question becomes, why? Why would you do it? And that goes back to my point of a moment ago. A president who is removed from office, convicted under the Constitution, even after he or she has left office, is barred from seeking federal office again. So by conducting this trial, even after he leaves office, if Mr. Trump is convicted, that would prevent him from running for president in 2024. Also, a president who leaves office, other than by being removed from office, has various benefits accorded to him. Secret service protection for life, pension, expenses covered, etc. If he is convicted, he stands to lose many, if not all, of those benefits. So for those in the Republican Party who want to move on from Mr. Trump, who don't want to see him return as a candidate in 2024, 
who want to turn the page, they have every reason to move forward with this trial and to vote to convict him for inciting insurrection. Very interesting. Politics at play, legal maneuvering, different agendas, all of this perfect for blurred laws of life. As I also mentioned in last week's episode, the attack on Capitol Hill was unprecedented. And I mentioned, I observed, that if this was a Black Lives Matters protest, if there were African Americans predominantly attacking Capitol Hill, I felt that the reaction by the police and those guarding Capitol Hill would have been far different and much more severe. Since the attack of last week, however, the FBI has obviously become involved. There have been news reports that those on the inside were supporting the insurrectionists, letting them in to Capitol Hill, and were secretly supporting them, this being members of our military, this being politicians, people on the inside. And there is a thorough investigation now going on. Not only have the individuals, many of the individuals, been arrested, but as I understand it, there are numerous investigations now ongoing to get to the bottom of who was involved. And as I mentioned, insurrection comes with it criminal penalty of up to 20 years in prison. And while right now the charges have been much more mild, as I understand it, that is par for the course. Generally speaking, charges are initially brought that may not be as severe as those that might later be brought after a thorough investigation. I've also heard from the federal prosecutor of Washington, D.C., him saying that all individuals and all charges are on the table, including, but not limited to, charging possibly Mr. Trump for inciting a riot, possibly inciting insurrection against Rudy Giuliani for doing the same based on his comments that I mentioned earlier, and others. So this is far from over. And the question becomes, why haven't these charges been brought yet? I think it's pretty simple. Remember, the President of the United States has the right to pardon people charged with federal crimes up until the time he or she leaves office. There have also been rumblings that President Trump has been considering taking the unusual step of pardoning himself. But guess what? There's nothing to pardon if there are no charges. So if there is the intent to ultimately charge Mr. Trump, Mr. Giuliani, or others within their circles, it would behoove those considering those charges to wait until after January 20th when Mr. Trump is no longer in office and has no ability to pardon anyone, including himself. So we will see how this unfolds, but I fully expect that there will be charges ultimately. I don't expect serious charges to be levied until after January 20th. And remember, this is only for federal crimes. Mr. Trump, as the President of the United States, does not have power to pardon for state crimes. 
So there may be state crimes that are levied. We will find out. We will see. But this once-in-a-lifetime event, the storming of Capitol Hill, that had politicians scrambling, hiding, cowering for their lives, in which five people have now died, is not over. And it'll be very interesting to see what charges are brought and who they are brought against and how serious those charges are and just who was behind and supporting the attack at the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. The aftermath of the attack on Capitol Hill does not end there, and it does not end with those directly involved, because we always have to blame someone other than those who are directly responsible. And not surprisingly, Facebook and Twitter and social media platforms are back under the microscope as a result of the attack on the Capitol building. Even prior to the attack on the Capitol building, there was a debate, a discussion, about repealing Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which acts as a liability shield to Internet service providers, social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter for comments made by third parties on their platforms. Now, after the attack on Capitol Hill, Twitter blocked Mr. Trump's access to his Twitter account. Facebook and Instagram both blocked Mr. Trump from the Facebook and Instagram platform. And then Google followed shortly thereafter with blocking Mr. Trump from his YouTube account. He's effectively being absolutely canceled. But that's not good enough for politicians and for other commentators who blame Facebook and Twitter and those social media platforms for giving a platform to not only Mr. Trump, but those who support him, which they say allowed for those people to conspire and to gravitate to each other and to end up in Washington, D.C. last week. It's not good enough that after the fact, these social media platforms are taking action to prevent this from happening again. The blame is that they should have been more proactive, that they should be policing hate speech on their platforms, that they should be watching out for those who would initiate others to commit violence, who would recruit those who would commit violence, and who would take the actions like we saw last week. But it's a slippery slope. Where does it stop? And do we really have the moral high ground to blame Facebook and Twitter for conduct of third parties? Do we blame the telephone company if people before the internet would get together and speak on the telephone? Would we blame the telephone companies for allowing them a means to get together and to hatch a scheme? Would the telephone company be to blame? Is that similar? Is that analogous? I don't know. But where do we draw the line? And are these social media platforms to blame? And is it even possible to police the world, to ensure that no one, that there is no platform 
for conspiracies to hatch. The free internet is an important part of today's life, an important part of free speech and communication among individuals. And if Section 30 is repealed, what will that mean for Facebook? What will that mean for Instagram? What will that mean for Twitter? And there certainly will be unintended consequences from that. It presents not only legal, but many moral questions and moral issues that obviously we're not prepared to discuss and resolve on a 30-minute podcast, Blurred Laws and Life. But we will be tracking what happens because whenever something bad happens, there has to be blame. Someone has to be blamed. And usually it's not just those who are directly involved. We have to blame others. And in this instance, as they have been for a while now, Facebook and Twitter are perfect candidates to be blamed. So as this develops and evolves, we'll be tracking it, we'll be discussing it, and we'll be covering all the developments on Blurred Laws and Life. And finally, the question becomes, what about the First Amendment? Is it right? Is it appropriate? Is it lawful for Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube to police speech? Is it appropriate? Is it lawful? Is it legal? Does it violate the First Amendment to block Mr. Trump and others from their Twitter accounts to prevent them from inciting violence, saying things that are allegedly false? And the answer is, it doesn't violate the First Amendment. You may have a moral problem with it, but there is no legal issue with it. Hate speech is not protected by the First Amendment. You cannot scream fire in a crowded theater when there is no fire. Words that incite violence are not protected by the First Amendment. And the First Amendment prohibits government from enacting laws that restrict the First Amendment. There is nothing that prevents a private company or companies like Twitter and Facebook and Google from blocking people from their platform or from censoring speech on their platforms. These are private companies and they have the right to do it. So this is not a First Amendment issue. It might be a moral issue, but it's not a First Amendment issue. Nonetheless, it has garnered incredible debate on both sides about whether it is proper and appropriate to censor on Facebook and Twitter, whether it's proper and appropriate to block users from Facebook and Twitter. But that is a debate not so much about the First Amendment as it is about moral authority. That too will be something that will be followed and that we will follow on Blurred Laws in Life as these issues continue. There is an old Chinese expression, may you live in interesting times, and we certainly do. The debate on these issues never seems to end, and the developments, the challenges, the legal challenges, and the debate will continue. And we, on Blurred Laws in Life, will be here each week to discuss these new developments, both legally and otherwise, as they arise. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode number 38 of Blurred Laws in Life. We will call it the aftermath. I hope you are having a good week and 
We look forward to speaking to you again next week on Blurred Laws in Life. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, unless we too are blocked, at Blurred Laws and Life. Have a good week, everyone. Thank you.